Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter, Do Death. Hi Phoebe, how are you? Hi Dad, I'm okay, how are you? I'm good. I've been having some time off work to be a volunteer games ambassador for the Commonwealth Games, which has been fun. That's exciting. Yeah, it has been exciting. It has been exciting. And uh, and because of that, we've been doing this uh, little mini series of Commonwealth related true Stories. crimes. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And uh, I've got quite a good one for you tonight. Hopefully you'll find it interesting. It has connections with Commonwealth countries from all around the world. Okay. Yeah, it's been interesting to find this one. So in this episode, Phoebe, I am going to tell you the story of John Martin Scripps. Okay. Have you ever heard of John Martin Scripps? I don't think so. The name doesn't immediately ring a bell. Okay, prepare to learn about him and his and his deeds. I'm going <laughs> to settle in for this one. Settle in for this one. On the 13th of March, 1995, a black plastic bag was found floating in Singapore Harbour. Singapore being a Commonwealth country, although I didn't realise just how tiny Singapore was, really. It's just a little bit at the end of the Malaysian peninsula, really. Okay. And, um, but never Not an area just... of the world I know very well. To no, no. But um, yeah, it used to be sort of a British outpost, and it's yeah, it, that's true. It got its independence from Britain, but it's still part of the Commonwealth, like mm-hmm. so many countries are. So this plastic bag was floating by Clifford Pier, which is uh, an area in in Singapore Harbour. In it was found to be a pair of legs, which <laughs> obviously had belonged to a man. Were they but, from the same person? Yeah, the two legs were from the same person, okay. yeah. And they had been severed from below the knee. Ooh. Three days later, another bag was found floating in the harbour, and that bag was found to contain the thighs and the torso of the same man. Ooh. No arms or head were ever found. Oh, dear. At pretty much the same time, Police in Singapore were notified of a missing person. Okay. That person was 32-year-old Gerard Lowe. Now, he had travelled from South Africa on the 7th of March on a shopping trip for electronics, South Africa being another Commonwealth country. He was an engineer at a brewery in South Africa. Right, okay. And he told his wife he'd be home on the 12th of March. When he did go away, he was very good at calling home and keeping her informed of when he'd be back. But on this occasion, he didn't call once, (laughs) not even to say he'd got there. No. Gerard Lowe's remains were eventually identified. In fact, his wife did fly from South Africa to Singapore and somehow or other identified the legs and torso I mean, maybe okay. there were some distinguishing marks, maybe tattoos, yeah, tattoos or something, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And even before the body had been finally identified, police following up on Gerard Lowe's whereabouts since arriving in Singapore had made some interesting discoveries. Okay. So on his arrival at Changi Airport, which is the main airport of Singapore, he had been befriended by someone calling himself Simon Davis. 
who suggested that they shared a hotel room to save money. Gerard Lowe was never seen alive again. (gasps) So who was Simon Davis? Well, his real name was John Martin Scripps, who, Uh. it turns out, had quite a colourful past. Mm-mm. So Scripps was born in Letchworth in Hertfordshire on the 9th of December 1959 to Leonard and Jean Scripps. Leonard was a lorry driver and Jean Scripps was a barmaid. John Martin Scripps often travelled as a child with his dad in the lorry and he was very close to him. But Leonard Scripps, the dad, died by committing suicide when John was only nine. After his father's death, Scripps developed problems with reading and writing, which led him to leaving school at a very early age. Well, 15, which I suppose was quite early. Yeah. (laughs) And after dropping out of school, he continued to travel, raising money for his trips by doing odd jobs and selling antiques. Okay. So he was only really a teenager while he was doing this. Yeah. In May 1974, Scripps was convicted of his first crime when he was sentenced to a 12-month conditional discharge and fined £10 by Highgate Juvenile Court for burglary. Mm -mm. The punishment did nothing to deter him from stealing, and by August 1976, he had stolen again three times. And In June 1978, he was fined £40 for indecent assault. Oh, no. So already... By the time he's like 18 or 19, he's <laughs> he's already in trouble. Uh, yeah, clocking up quite a few incidents. He travelled to Mexico when he was, yeah, only um, 20, where he met Maria Pilar Arellanos of Cancun, and he married her in 1980. They travelled together for two years until 1982 when he was sentenced to a three-year jail term for theft and burglary and resisting arrest. His imprisonment upset Maria and their relationship was further soured when he ran away from jail again during home leave in June 1985, just a few months short of completing his term. And while he was uh, on the run from having escaped from his home leave, he burgled again. He was sentenced to another three years imprisonment, during which time she filed for divorce and married a police constable, an officer in the Royal Protection Squad. This angered Scripps, who acted in revenge, stealing some of Cold's clothing while released on home leave. Again, more home leave. (laughs) He seems to get a lot of home leave. He was only happy when Maria divorced her new husband and she returned back to her home town of Cancun in Mexico. When John Martin Scripps was finally released from his second term of three years imprisonment, he changed his name legally to John Martin. So in other words, just dropping the Scripps. So John Martin began trafficking drugs and he carried heroin between Asia and Europe for a syndicate. Singapore authorities first encountered his name in 1987 when he was arrested at Heathrow Airport for possessing drugs. Police found a key that belonged to a safe deposit box in a bank in Orchard Road in Singapore. Okay. And when the officers from Singapore Central Narcotics Bureau visited that box with the key that I presume the British police had sent them, 
they seized one and a half kilograms, which is about three and a bit pounds of heroin worth about a million US dollars. Oh my God, I was going to say, I have absolutely no idea what that means in context. Like, <laughs> is that like 20 quid's worth of heroin? Or, no, or? 1.5. I mean, this is in 1987. So, um, that's, that sounds like quite a lot of heroin. More, yeah. <laughs> for this and for another drug offence, he was sentenced in January 1988 to seven years in jail, but he escaped while he was on home leave. <laughs> Why did they keep letting him go on home? I don't know. But was like, I really don't know. But was it's later like, rearrested. Um, Jeffrey Epstein, when he was in prison, they used to let him go back to his flat, like during the day, yeah. and he could like do stuff during the day, and they just like make him go back for bedtime. Like, how insane is that? I don't know how common home leave is now, but this is like the third time that he's been on home leave. Yeah. from prison. Should, if you're in prison, aren't you in prison? Not um, being let to go home. Yeah, that's what I thought, but. Um, I don't know if it's just like, as you say, for the day or whether he's allowed out for a weekend or a week or I, I don't know. But he was in for seven years concept. in this case. Yeah. Well, he should be in prison for seven years then, not <laughs> to go home occasionally. Anyway, he escaped. Well, rather, I suppose he didn't go back yeah. <laughs> to prison after being on home leave, but he was later rearrested. In July 1992, Winchester Crown Court added another six years to the original sentence, which would have kept him behind bars in, until 2001, had he not escaped again. Oh, dear. Between 1992 and 1993, about 18 months, he was in custody at Albany Prison on the Isle of Wight, where he was regarded as being a model prisoner. Initially, he did menial jobs such as dishwashing and general cleaning, but he was later promoted to the position of butcher under the training of James Quigley, a prison caterer with more than 20 years' experience, and another inmate who's only identified as Ginger, who had been a professional butcher. And they taught him how to dismember and remove the bone from animals after they'd been slaughtered. You know who else was a uh, chef on a stint in prison before they uh, became big-time serial killer? John Wayne Gacy. There you go. <laughs> Amazing what you learn in prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't teach people how to dismember things while they're in prison. Yeah. So John Martin performed his duties with such efficiency that he once proclaimed that he wished to open a butcher's shop after his release. In August 1993, John Martin was transferred from Albany Prison to the Mount Prison in Hemel Hempstead, Hertfordshire, as a result of a change in his security categorisation. And guess what? In October 1994, (laughs) he was given home leave and... He escaped. He escaped. (laughs) That home leave actually came just two days after he'd been refused parole. So he'd gone to the parole board, been refused parole, but two days later they gave him home leave. That makes no sense. And the fact that he's previously escaped on home leave, you think that they'd revoke that privilege from him? Why do they keep letting him do it? Uh, It's a question that in actual fact his mother asked. Just seems silly. Seems like a silly thing to do. Yeah. John Martin decided to go abroad on this particular release and to avoid detection, 
he used the birth certificate of one of his fellow inmates, Simon James Davis. That was the name that he introduced himself to Gerard Lowe with in Singapore at the beginning of the story. Okay. Yeah, and, and he got a passport in Simon James Davis's name. The first place he travelled to was Mexico. When he was there, he reported to the British Embassy that he had lost his passport under the name of John Martin. Even though he'd travelled there okay. with Simon Davis, he went to the British Embassy in Mexico and said that he, that he John Martin, had lost his passport. So he managed to get a replacement. So now he's got two passports, Simon Davis and John Martin. And with that, he travelled to San Francisco. Okay. Where he spent some time. By this time, it is March 1995. And on the 8th of March, or maybe the 7th, he leaves San Francisco and flies to Singapore, which is when he meets Gerard Lowe at Changi Airport. And they both agree to share a room. They book into room 1511 of the Riverside Hotel in Singapore. The next morning, John Martin asks the hotel receptionist to remove Gerard Lowe from the register of people staying at the hotel. He claimed that he had thrown Gerard Lowe out because he had made unwanted advances to him. After that, John Martin went on to do some shopping, buying a video recorder, some speakers and some Nike shoes. <laughs> He also went to a concert by the Singapore Symphony Orchestra on the 10th of March, and he also transferred a total of $13,500 US to a bank account that he had in San Francisco. Wow. He also buys a plane ticket to travel from Singapore to Bangkok, then on to Phuket, and then returning back to Singapore. Oh, okay. He leaves Singapore on the 11th of March, arriving in Bangkok, and it was on the 13th of March, while he's out of Singapore, that Gerard Lowe's legs are found and his torso and uh, thighs are found on the 16th of March. John Martin is there in Bangkok, where he then boards a flight to Phuket, which are very close to each other. Singapore and Bangkok and Phuket are all kind yes. of on the same peninsula of land. It's, it's it's only like an hour, hour and a half sort of flight between those places. Okay, I'm going to have so, a look. Yeah. So Singapore is at the southern end of that sort of piece of land. Phuket is at the north. I think Bangkok is just sort of on the mainland associated with that. So from Bangkok, he boards a plane to Phuket. On the 15th of March, a woman on holiday from Canada, another Commonwealth country, Sheila May Damood and her son, Darren Damood, who was 22, were reported missing from Phuket. Mm -mm. It turns out that they had been on the same flight from Bangkok to Phuket as had John Martin. Okay. And they had all checked into the same hotel, Nilly's Marina Inn. Now, John Martin, who was still using the name Simon Davis at this stage. Okay. Was assigned room 48 and the Demoods were in room 43. 
The mother and son were seen at breakfast, but after that they were never seen again. John Martin, later that day, asked reception of the Nillies Marina Inn if he could swap to room 43 as the Demudes had left and he would pay their bill. Okay, that's kind of him. Yeah, it's kind of him, isn't it? Yeah. So he stayed there in the in Phuket in the luxury of room 43. <laughs> yeah. Um, and on the 19th of March, he checked out of the hotel and flew back to Singapore, which, as I said, is only about a 90-minute flight, I think, from Phuket to, to Singapore. It's not okay. very long. On the same day that he flew back to Singapore, two skulls were discovered in an old tin mine and on the 24th of March, so a few days later, decayed and decomposed body parts were found along a roadside. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the skulls were identified as being Sheila and Darren Damood. The body parts that were found along the side of the road were too badly decomposed to be positively identified. Okay. But they were thought to belong to Sheila and the rest of Darren his body was never found. Oh, no. When John Martin arrived back in Singapore on the 19th of March, he was arrested at Changi Airport on suspicion of being somehow involved in the disappearance of Gerard Lowe. Okay. Because they didn't know about the Daboods at that stage. Yeah. He was still using the name Simon Davis, and that was the name that because that was the name that he'd used in the hotel where Gerard Lowe disappeared from. Yeah. When he appeared back in the country, that's who they arrested. While he was in the interview room at the airport, John Martin smashed a window of the interview room and used the shard of glass to try and attempt suicide because he didn't want to be arrested for murder. Oh my God. He was then taken to hospital for treatment. As part of their search of John Martin, he was found to have been carrying five passports, including Gerard Lowe's, Sheila and Darren Demood's. But they all had Martin's photo fixed to them. So I'm not entirely wow. sure how we'd done it to make it look convincing. But... And how he was getting away with Sheila's. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly, there's a there's a sort of a very bad picture but there's one of of uh, darren demood's passport with that's um, bizarre with the picture stuck to it <laughs> they also found credit cards belonging to sheila demood and gerard lowe in addition police found simon davis's birth certificate on him and items that martin could have used to immobilize and kill a hammer weighing about one and a half kilograms, the same weight as the uh, <laughs> yep. heroin or whatever <laughs> it was that was found. <laughs> a battery-powered Z-Force electroshock weapon, a bit like a taser, I think that is. Oh, okay. A can of mace, two pairs of handcuffs, and various other bits and pieces. He also had some foldable knives, and a Swiss Army knives, and bringing these sort of things into Singapore was illegal. So he was smuggling them in, and how on earth he got through security or whatever with yeah. all that on him. On the 21st of March, 1995, so just a couple of days after he got back to Singapore, Martin was taken to court on an initial charge, naming him as Simon Davis and accusing him of forging a low signature on a bank credit card transaction slip to obtain $6,000 for 
Three days later, he was charged under his real name of John Martin, or perhaps even John Martin script, for the murder of Gerard Lowe at the Riverview Hotel. Sometime between the 8th and 9th of March, and in a subsequent hearing, he was additionally charged with forging Lowe's signature five more times to obtain cash and goods worth $3,200. He was also accused of... For, like, killing somebody for... So he'd had six thousand dollars from Lowe, and then another three thousand two hundred. So it's nine thousand two hundred dollars. Yeah, still not a lot of money, is it? No. He was also accused of vandalism for smashing the glass window at the uh, at the airport. Yeah, fair. Possession of offensive weapons. The possessions of controlled drugs. He had twenty four <laughs> sticks of cannabis on him as well at the time of his arrest. So wow! Was, not only was he carrying drugs, but weapons and stolen passports, stolen credit cards. Jesus! He was a walking. Well, yeah, he was a criminal. That's quite <laughs> audacious, really, isn't it? For him to just like yeah. go on and play him with all of this stuff and expect not to be caught. Yeah. He was held on remand for about six months, and in September 1995, a preliminary inquiry in a district court was held to determine whether or not there was sufficient evidence for a trial to proceed. (laughs) I think they probably did have. The magistrate overseeing the inquiry ordered Martin to stand trial for Gerard Lowe's murder. They had statements from 39 witnesses and looked at more than 100 exhibits and a 100 photographs that the prosecution had prepared as evidence. So it wow. was, they, they had pretty good quite a lot of evidence. <laughs> yeah. So in the case of Gerard Lowe's murder, it's believed that once they got into the hotel room, he probably didn't hang around, actually. Oh, wow, okay. They think what happened is that he either stunned Lowe with the electro-taser mm-hmm. thing or hit him over the head with a hammer, or possibly both, till he was dead. He was then dragged into the bathroom where he was dismembered. Oh, nice. He then used black plastic bags, which I guess he could have got from anywhere, and a suitcase to transport his body out of the hotel just to dump him in the river, which was kind of like behind the hotel. It was called the Riverview Hotel in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. John Martin claimed that, yes, he had killed Gerard Lowe in self-defence after being approached inappropriately and that yes he killed him himself to friend but a friend an anonymous friend had disposed of the body but okay. he refused to say who that anonymous friend was <laughs> yeah that friend yeah so yeah all this went to trial in his statement he said that he had hit low several times over the head until he collapsed onto the carpeted floor a friend helped dispose of the body by throwing it into the Singapore River. I'm not sure what was the next thing I did. Everything was such a blur to me after this incident. I was walking around in a dream world for the next few days, buying video recorders and shoes and tickets to the uh, symphony. Yeah, and heading out to Phuket and Bangkok Yeah, not long afterwards. Yeah. Uh, in, in during the trial, Martin went on to say that he was by nature not a violent person. I may have worked in the prison butchery, but cutting up a human body is another thing. When I saw the photographs of Lowe's body parts, it made me sick. Okay. 
he maintained that Gerard Lowe had made homosexual advances that caused him to freak out as he had previously sort of had that sort of encounter while in prison. So after hearing John Martin's testimony and the testimony of other witnesses, on the 7th of November 1995, the judge, Judge T.S. Sinathuri, adjourned the trial for three days to consider the verdict. Apparently, Singapore had abolished jury trials in 1969, so it was down okay. entirely to the magistrate to decide whether he was innocent or guilty or whatever verdicts mm. were open to him. When the trial resumed, three days later, the judge was satisfied that the prosecution had made its case and he dismissed Martin's version of events. He found Martin guilty and sentenced him to death. Oh, wow, okay. Justice Sinathuri said, I am satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt that you had intentionally killed Gerard Lowe and that <laughs> after that you disarticulated Lowe's body into separate parts and it was you who subsequently disposed of the body parts by throwing them into the river behind the hotel. On the evidence, I have no difficulty in finding that it was you who were concerned with the deaths of Sheila and Darren Damood and for the disposal of their body parts found in different sites in Phuket. Mm -mm. The disarticulation of the body parts of Lowe and the Damoods have the hallmark signs of having been done by the same person. Altogether, mm -hmm. the similar fact evidence reinforces the decision I have made, where it puts beyond doubt that you are guilty on the charge of murder. The sentence of this court upon you is that you will be taken from this place to a lawful prison and taken to a place to be hanged by the neck until you are dead. May the Lord <gasps> have mercy on your soul. Oh, no. So that was on the 7th of November. On the 15th of November, John Martin announced that he would appeal against the sentence. But in January 1996, he dropped his appeal. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, without any, um, any explanation. Mm -hmm. And he turned down a subsequent chance to petition to the president of Singapore for clemency, saying that he was impatient to be executed. <laughs> so in his final few days in prison, he started writing sort of notes and things to various people because of okay. the dyslexia that he suffered from a child. His spelling is all over the place. It's quite easy to find examples of what he did write. But then uh, on the 19th of April, 1996, so he hadn't been in prison very long, he had a last meal of pizza and hot chocolate. And at the age of 36... John Martin, or John Martin Scripps, was hanged in Changi Prison together with two Singapore drug traffickers. And on oh. that day, the Royal Canadian Mountain Police and the Royal Thai Police closed their files on the murders of Sheila and Darren Demood, saying that their case had been effectively sold. Wow. And at the time of his execution, John Martin was the first Briton to have been executed in Singapore since the nation's independent from British colonial rule, which mm -hmm. happened in 1959. He was also one of the first Europeans ever to receive the death penalty in Singapore. Wow, okay. So, uh, yeah, but there probably aren't many British people that have been sentenced to hanging no. since the 1960s. 
No. Wow. So, yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting story of how this, well, Baden, really. Who what did, a story. Yeah. Bad um, things. <laughs> yeah, it's also thought, actually, that he might have been responsible for other deaths. Okay. I was going to ask that, actually. Although there was never any evidence, his ex-wife, Maria, said of him that John Martin disappeared on several trips and went to the United States and Southeast Asia. And she knew something awful was happening. So this is when they were still married back in the uh, mm. sort of early 80s. Who were? Uh, and in actual fact, Scotland Yard suspect John Martin of having separately killed two men from South London, a financial advisor called Timothy McDowell and an accountant called William Shackle. No way. Gerard Lowe may not have been his first victim or the Demudes, but... Uh, I mean, if it doesn't look like that would be your first victim, does it? Like, no. how he killed him and disposed of him, that seems like quite an escalation. That doesn't seem like a yeah. first kill, does it? No, it doesn't. And it, it seems so... He killed those three people, three tourists, basically. For yeah. Relatively little gain. It's, it's not yeah. very clear exactly what he got from killing the, the mother and son. No, that's um, really random that you just like went up to Phuket and yeah. killed somebody and then just came back again. Yeah. That's weird. Maybe he knew it was um, a holiday destination. He could try yeah. his charm on people. Yeah, get some, get a bit of cash. Yeah, wow. sort of befriend them, chatted to them on the plane. I don't know if he'd yeah. even got the hotel book. He found out where they were going. So, yeah. Yeah, get a bit of cash, get their passports. Yeah. What was going to do with five passports? I don't know. Not a lot after he no. was uh, <laughs> put in prison. So there are some photographs that I can okay. uh, that I can share. Brilliant! Thank you very much. Yep, I'll put them on our Instagram page at Dad and Daughter Do Death, and I'll put them on our Facebook page, Dad and Daughter Do Death. If you'd like to contact us about this or any of our other episodes, you're always welcome to email us. At dad and daughter do death at gmail.com. It's always good to hear from you, whichever way you choose to contact us. Yes, definitely. Thank you very much for another fascinating story. That little story rounds off our Commonwealth related mini series. Hope you found it interesting. Yeah, definitely. So, we're going to have a bit of a break over the summer with various trips and things like that we're just not really gonna have time our diaries just don't really sync up now for the next few weeks do they no it's gonna be a bit chaotic yeah so we're gonna have a little bit of, of, of a break for august and then we'll be back in september yeah when toby starts school when toby starts school so enjoy your summer and join us next time when once again dad and daughter do death Thank you.